may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We are dealing with a series entitled Built to Last. Built to Last. Nothing that God builds should be falling apart. Amen. And, and, and we have got to be those kind of people who are connected with God and what he is doing. And church, I want to encourage you that as the Lord spoke to my heart regarding building, he was definitely dealing with me and saying, this is what I want you to focus on. I want you to focus on building, but not simply, not only. Obviously, a building is in the natural is something that we'll continue to move forward towards, but that's not the end of building. God wants us to make sure that we are being built up in the most holy faith, that we are being built up according to his word and that we are doing everything we can to be carriers of his glory. Amen. Last week we were dealing with this particular portion of scripture beginning in verse one actually and we talked about the fact that the first thing that happened in this building project was that they established the altar for worship. That is the first thing that they did and I pointed out that in this wonderful building project that is three phases the first phase was that was that they began to build the altar and why was that important? It was important because they demonstrated to us that the first thing that has to be a established in our lives is worship. Amen, somebody. See, here's, here, here's the issue. The issue is that there are too many of us who are trying to fit worship into our lives rather than building our lives around our worship. Mm-hmm. And, and so what they show us is the first thing that needs to happen is your life needs to be changed radically. Mm-hmm in order for you to be able to build according to the pattern of God. Now remember what happened some 70 years ago is when this temple was destroyed. It was destroyed because the people had this glorious and wonderful temple that King Solomon had built, the place where these sacrifices were going on, the place where they knew it as the house of God, and yet they were not seriously committed to being worshipers. So what did God do? God removed that structure. He allowed the enemy to come in and destroy that structure for what? So they can start over again. Hallelujah. And when they begin to start over again, the first thing that we see is they build this wonderful and glorious altar. And now after seven months of worship, after seven months of them just coming day in and day out, in the morning, and the nighttime, laying their sacrifices before the Lord, after those seven months, they've completed that portion of the phase, and now they move on to the next phase. And the the thing is this, church, is that while worship is the beginning, here's the issue, is there are too many of us who become self-centered in our worship. How is that possible? Well, I have a revelation of Jesus. I get an encounter with the Lord, and then suddenly it's all about me. It's all about me getting my breakthrough. It's all about me having my time with the Lord. It's all about just me experiencing something. It's about me getting my blessing. It's about me feeling good. It's all about me. And listen, that's all, that, that, that's all good. It should be all about you when you're in your prayer closet with the Lord alone. Amen? But you cannot live in your prayer closet alone. So you got to go from the place where it's about you and the Lord. And I should say it the other way. It's about the Lord and you. Amen? Not about you, but about the Lord and you. It's about seeking him for what he wants to show you, not seeking him for what you want him to give you. I I, I know that's sinking in, glory to God. But listen, 
What, what, what happens is we should be devoted to that time, but we should not be satisfied with that as being the end because it's not the end. Remember, this is the first phase, which is the building of that altar. But here's, here's what needs to happen is that we need to be the kind of people that realize that when we have established that place of worship, we have established that place where we meet with God and God is dealing with us, there is something that should come out of that automatically there should be a desire for you to do what? To move into the next level of your discipleship. To move into the next level of you growing in God. It shouldn't be enough just to come to church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't even be enough to come to church on Sunday and Wednesday. Mm-hmm. You should desire to be connected with the body of Christ and growing with the church the way that God desires you to do that. That's the reason why we have that on the wall there. That's the reason why Pastor Robert repeats that because the first part of the altar is right there, loving God. You, you establish that place that you're in love with him. But there's something that should come out of that, and it should be that I want to share my God with my brothers and my sisters and help them grow and encourage them with the experiences that I've been having or, on the other side, be encouraged by them by the experiences they're having with the Lord. Amen, somebody. And from that place, we should definitely be moving into, I don't want to just share it in the house. We're going to get to that next phase probably in a couple of weeks here. But I don't just want to share it with my brothers, but I want to be able to share it with the world. Amen? So when we are truly having that time where we call, you know, our consecrated time and our separated time, something should come out of that church. We should be moving and growing in corporate worship, in corporate growth, and in corporate service. That's what should be happening. So we see that they move from the place of building the altar now to moving to the place where they begin to build this building. And the first thing I want to say is this, is that the next level in our lives, the next level in your life, the next level in this ministry requires attention to the foundation that will uphold it. Very, very important that you pay attention to the foundation because what does the foundation symbolize? The foundation symbolizes the next level. Amen? Because it is upon that foundation that I'm going to build up. I've got I've I've to dig deep in order to build that foundation. I was reading a book a long time ago, More Than Just Numbers, by Dr. David Youngie Cho. And when he was writing in there, he said, there is one thing that you've got to realize when you want to do something great for God. He said, you have got to dig deep, deep, deep into the earth. He said, when you're building a big building, not the actual earth, but inside of yourself, and letting God do something deep inside of you, he said, when you're building in the actual in the earth he said you know what happens depending on how high that building is going to be that determines how low they got to go into the ground determining how high if if that building is going to be able to sustain the weight of something great that foundation has got to be deep it's got to be thick because if not guess what when you get all that weight on there when you try to start building up the foundation starts to crack the building will begin to become lopsided and before you know it it will be condemned because it will be no good hello somebody And so I know that we all want to go to another level. I know I do. I don't want to just stay in the same place where I am. I want to continue to grow in his grace. I want to continue to grow from glory to glory, from strength to strength, from faith to faith. I want to continue to grow from revelation to revelation. I want to continue those things. But if I'm going to continue, then I've got to pay attention to the foundation. 
I've got to make sure that I establish worship and that worship is a primary focus of my life, that all of my life evolves around that. But the next thing I need to pay attention to is I need to pay attention to the foundation. So please repeat this after me. Our motivation for building must have depth to ensure the completion. See, here's, I was sharing with a brother the other day and I said, you know, he was talking about the valleys and the, and the mountaintop moments that Christians have. And how many of y'all know that sometimes we're up here in the glory and other times we're down here in the valley of the shadow of death? Amen? I got two or three witnesses. Praise the Lord. But here's the, here's the thing. When you are walking on level ground is when it is vitally important for you to remain connected with Christ. Hear me. Because here's what happens, and this is what happens to a whole lot of Christians. And this is going to offend some people, but I love you. Amen? But when we're walking on that level ground is when it's the easiest to forget about our God, our Savior, and what he's called us to do. Because what? Because everything is all right. I'm not struggling with anything. There's nothing really coming against me. My job is good. Kids are okay. Parents are all right. Everything is good, wonderful. Nobody's sick. Nobody's going through nothing, right? And what we do is we begin to slack. Ah, you know, I don't have to pray today. Ah, I can, I can hit the snooze button. Everything's good. God understands. Right? And then before you know it, the snooze button, instead of it being an exception, becomes the norm. Right? I keep hitting that snooze button, not getting up to pray. Before you know it, I'm not really seeking God like I need to. So then what happens? I come to a moment in my life, and I go through a valley, right? When I hit this valley, it's in those moments, if I would have been connected with him, I wouldn't be complaining so much. Did you hear me? I told you this was going to offend some people, but it's all right. It's all in love. If I would have been connected with him, when I hit the valley, I would have been able to give him glory and give him honor and everything would have been great. Amen? But because I wasn't connected, then what happens? I hit the valley. That's the place where people lose faith. That's the place where people start doubting God. That's the place where people start questioning, am I in the right city? Am I in the right church? Am I in the right job? We start going through all, all kinds. We, we start questioning everything. Right? Because what? Because that's what happens in the valley. In the valley, it's all shadowy. Hello, somebody. You, you, you don't see so clearly in the shadows. Though. You have enough light to see, but not enough light to really understand what's going on. But if you're walking with him through the valley, you've you, you got to know that you're going to come out of this valley at some point. But here's the other one that's going to offend you guys even more. See, because you thought the valley was offensive. But what about the mountaintop? See, here's what happens. Are sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost people, right? We walk in, live in life, everything is good, no problems, no issues. But see, there's still something in us that wants more of God. Amen? I want to see his glory. I want to experience more of him. And so you know what happens? God in his infinite mercy gives us a high mountaintop experience with him 
And you know what happens? I see it all the time. All the time. And I'm going to tell you when it usually happens. This one's going to get real offensive. It usually happens when we go to one of those glorious and wonderful retreats. Oh, I was a youth pastor for three years. I had a few of those retreats. Get those folks up in there. First day, it's kind of rough. Why? Because they ain't been walking with God. First day, there's no real experience. Anybody who's ever been to a retreat, you know this is the truth. The first day, it's kind of like, ah, whatever. Second day, the glory of God comes down. Did you ever, did you ever, you ever think why that happens? Because the first day, God was dealing with all of your sin, all of your mess, all of your disconnection from him. But now you've been just in the presence of the Lord. So the second day, now you're ready to experience the Lord. Amen, somebody? Should give us a lesson. We can have retreat moments in our life all the time. If we would simply separate ourselves from sin and walk with him daily, we wouldn't have to wait till one or two times a year. But here's what happens. We go to the glorious retreat. Second day, whatever day, whenever it happened for you, you experience God. Oh, my goodness. I'll never be the same again. Oh, see, I know, I, 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 know, I, I know that's offensive. I will never be the same again. Why? Because I experienced God like never before. Mm-hmm. So then we should all answer ourselves this question. How is it? that I came out of that mountaintop glorious experience making those confessions and I go back to the same old mess. Go back to the same old attitude. Go back to the same old way of thinking. Why is that? It is because here's what happens when I'm not walking with the Lord on the level ground. What ends up happening is then my mountaintop experiences, instead of them being spiritual things that are taking me to another level, you know what they become? They become emotional highs. And that is all they are, church, is emotional highs. Oh, it was spiritual. The Holy Spirit did something. But because you were not connected with him walking on the level ground, then you know what happened? When you came down off of that mountain, all of a sudden that glory left you. And you're kind of like Moses. When he first came down, the glory was just, just vibrant, illuminating him all over the place. And after time, it faded. Why do I share all of this? Because we're talking about building. And if we are going to build effectively, if we are going to build according to God's pattern and his plan, then our motivation in building has got to have some depth. And as I was looking at the scriptures here, I began to look at these names of the people who were involved in this whole building project here. And if we look at verse 8 here, it says, Now in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, it says, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Joshua, the son of Jazadak, and the rest of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all those who had come out of the captivity to Jerusalem began work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. And when I began to look at these names, for some reason, I just felt led to look up the definition and the meaning of these names. Because, see, nowadays we don't really think much, you know, we think a little bit, but not like the, the Hebrews did about naming their their children when they thought about they were naming their children with purpose when they gave them a name it meant something they were communicating something that was either going on they were prophesying something over their life they were declaring something and when I looked at these names the first name that I found here is the name Zerubbabel remember we got to have depth in our motivation and what that name means is it literally means sown in Babylon 
And so this one right here, he was sown in Babylon. What is Babylon? Babylon is this foreign land, means confusion, is a land of sin. And so he had been sown into Babylon. Why? Because he was there. He, he, he came out in, during the time of their captivity. So he is sown into Babylon. All of us, I want you to know this, every one of us has been sown into this earth with a purpose. Hello. He was sown into Babylon for a purpose. So the first thing that has to be part of our motivation for us to go on ahead and build or do something is we have got to understand that we have been sown into this earth with a purpose. The second thing, or the second name here that we find is his father's name. And his father's name is Shiltiel. And it means I have asked of God. And so look at what the father, what, see, we're talking about depth. We're talking about something that is even before, before he was even born, that his father, I have asked of God. And what did his father get? Got a child with purpose. Hallelujah. So we have the one that we got to understand first and foremost, that we have been sown into this earth for a reason. We're here with a purpose. And, and, and notice where he's sown into. He's sown into Babylon. Why, church? Because he is going to be a deliverer for the children of Israel to come out of that bondage. Do you see it? He's the one. He's the first one that goes back to Jerusalem. He's the first one that's given authority. So God sows him. But the next thing that we found was the name of his father, which is mean, which it means I have asked of God. See, these are the ones that were connected there. The next name is the name Joshua. What does that name mean? That name means Jehovah is salvation. Here's the first thing. The first thing is we've got to know that we have been sown into this earth for a reason. And that should motivate us to begin to cry out to God. And what are we crying out to God for? Blessing? No. What are we crying out to God for? Breakthrough? No. What are we crying out to God for? Salvation. See, I've been sown with a purpose. And therefore, I'm going to begin to cry out unto the Lord. I'm going to begin to seek him diligently and desperately for what? For this salvation. And then the last name that is there is his father's name, which is Josedak, which means Jehovah is righteous. And if I'm crying out to God for salvation, then I better be sure that I'm committed to walking in righteousness. Hello, somebody. So we've got to have the right motivation. And what is the motivation? The motivation is for us to be able to fulfill what God Almighty has called us to do. And here's the beauty of this. The beauty of this is that when we have the right motivation, the right motivation will connect us with the right people who desire to build for the kingdom and the glory of God just as much as you do. Hallelujah. Because that's the way that God Almighty is. And we see the rest of these names here of the other ones, and I won't read them all, you know, or go through all of the definitions in length, but we see the name of Joshua again, which we know means Jehovah's salvation. We see that he's connected with someone named Kadmiel, who, who, who his name literally means God is the ancient one. And so they're connected together based on salvation. Salvation through whom? The God of Israel, the God who created all things. We're not looking for salvation in ourselves. We're not looking for salvation in books and knowledge. We are looking for salvation in who? The only one who can save. And those are the kind of people that we've got to be connected with. And then the next name there is the name Judah, which means praise. And so they were connected in salvation. They were connected in their understanding of who God was. And they're connected in their praise, church. And because they're walking in praise, the last name there is Hanadad, and that name means favor of Hadad or favor of the mighty. And you know that in order to build anything for the kingdom of God, 
you've got to have the favor of the Lord in your life. Amen. And so we have these understanding of the first thing, which is our motivation has got to be right. The second thing, please repeat after me, say, our worship celebrations must mark our entire building process. The next thing that we see here is after they began to build and look at verse 10, it says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord and the priests stood in their apparel with, with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, symbols to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel, and they sang responsibly. In other words, as the priests sang, the people responded. The people weren't standing there looking at them, waiting for them to finish. Hello, somebody. Mm-hmm. Can I get an Amen. They, 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 they weren't looking at them to see, okay, you know what, it's been, that, that, that's long enough for worship and praise. Can we go on ahead and move on to the next thing? That, was, that wasn't how they were. They, they, they saw something that God was doing, and they did what? They began to connect with it. They began to give him praise. And so our worship celebration, which is what they did, should mark our entire building process, right? So the first thing that we've got to learn is the importance of what I call praise breaks. Praise breaks. Just moments in our life where we step back and we look at what God is doing. Moments in our life where we step back and we say, hold on a second. I'm, I'm, I'm over here complaining. I'm over here discouraged. I'm over here disgusted. But have I given him praise? Have I given him glory that he is worthy of? Just praise breaks, church. Just understanding that it is important for us to pause in moments of our life as often as we can and truly look at what God has done. You know, I don't know about you, but I sit back plenty of the time and, you know, I'm thinking about all the things that I don't have. Focused on all of the things that I do not have, all of the things that I want, all of the things that I desire, all of the things that, are, that, 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 that I have just not gotten yet. I, think, I, I get caught up thinking about those things. And then, glory to God, he humbles me when I come before him and I begin to start thinking. Because see, here, here's the beauty of this. When you have your prayer time with the Lord and you begin to start off your prayer time, you know, the first thing you got to do is you got to give thanks. Amen? You got to give him thanks. So now you start going down the list of things to give him thanks for, right? And then when you start going down that list of giving him thanks for all of this and giving thanks for this and giving, and, and as you start to give him thanks, all of a sudden this conviction begins to come up in your heart like, man, I can't believe that I've been over here focused on what I don't have, focused on who don't talk to me, focused on where I haven't been, focused on the promotion I didn't get. Instead of thanking him for the things, hallelujah, that I have, for the things that he has already given me, for the things that he has entrusted me with. See, that, 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 that's what a praise break is, hallelujah. It breaks you away from the woe is me into glory to God for his mercy endures forever. For he has done some good stuff in my life. Just give him those praise breaks. But here's, here's why those praise breaks are so important. Because many times when we don't take these praise breaks, what do we do? We lose focus. We lack enthusiasm. We falter in our faith. And it's all because we have not learned to bless God every step of the way. Learning to bless him every step of the way. See, here's, here's, here's what should happen. And it is that our lives should not be marked by our conquest, but our lives should mark our conquest. And our worship should mark and make them both. Now listen to what I'm saying here. Sometimes we just get so excited about this conquest instead of getting excited that God did it with me. Did you hear what I said? 
See, we have got to be those people that are not just, and, and, and I hate to even say this because this is kind of mean what I'm about to say, but it won't offend you. It will offend anybody in the NBA or something like that that hears what I'm about to say. But anyway, that sits on the bench anyhow. <laughs> there are these folks that they're part of the team, but they don't play a primary role in the team. A lot of them don't play all season except for when the game is like up by so much and they go and you'd be like, who is that? I never saw them before. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but here's the thing. Not everybody's Kobe Bryant. Hello, somebody. Not everybody is going to be those people who are the ones who make the championship happen when it comes to the NBA. The beauty of this is that it's not like that for the kingdom of God. Did you hear me? You see, we have a vital role to play. No matter how minuscule it may seem to you, it is vital to what God wants to build through us. Hello, somebody. It is vital, and we have got to be those kind of people who are able to sit on the bench but make a big difference. And, and, and the example I can give you is Phil Jackson. Hallelujah. He sits on the bench, glory to God. He doesn't move. Everybody's like, this guy doesn't get upset. He just sits there, you know, with his zen, you know, because that's what he's into, right? He just sits there. He don't, he don't move. He doesn't get, he, he, I mean, you, you rarely see this guy yell. You know, he, he sits down. The other coach is running up and down the side, and he's just sitting down chilling. But you know what? Their championships and everything that they have, he's made it happen. He's not out there on the floor playing. But he is making decisions, and he is doing something. And see, it becomes the same way for us, church. And that in, in the school that you are and the company that you are, you know what? All of those things, the things that happen for the kingdom and the glory of God, you have got to realize that you are vital to those things. And the more desperate and the more determined that you become for God and for his kingdom, you want to know what begins to happen? What begins to happen is you begin to be used by God to make a great mark in the things that are going on in your life. Amen, somebody? But the key to this is that we have got to make sure that our worship is leading our decisions, that our worship of God is leading what we are doing. Because if that is what is happening, then guess what? Our worship, because our worship is not worshiping us, our worship is worshiping the King of glory. Therefore, what happens is he will begin to move and manifest himself and his will in all of these areas of our life, and we will be able to make the mark that God has called us to and turn around and give him all the glory because he's worthy. Amen? Hallelujah. Number three, please repeat this after me. Say, we cannot allow past glory or failure to take away from present progress or future perfection. Keep reading with me, please, in verse 12. It says, but many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses Old men who had seen the first temple wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the sound was heard afar off. Now you'll notice this was a glorious moment 
They were beginning to see some progress in this building project. They were beginning to see the foundation being laid. They had been there worshiping the Lord, seeking God. They hadn't seen much progress for seven months. And then all of a sudden, they begin to get to this place where everybody starts working toward this one task and this one goal. And then this this foundation is laid. And when they see the foundation, there's a couple of things you can do. You can go on on ahead and you can say, all right, whatever. Or you can go ahead and get excited. Well, a group of them and most of them there got excited. But there was somebody in the midst of the group that had been there for a long time. They were older, and they saw the former glory of the house. They saw Solomon's temple. They saw how great and glorious it was. And when they looked at this foundation, they couldn't rejoice. Did you hear what I said? They couldn't rejoice. They couldn't get excited. They were so caught up in the past They were so caught up in how good they had it. They were so caught up in the way that it was before. They were so caught up in that that they couldn't rejoice. And here's what happens. The past will either haunt us or will help us regardless of the negative or positive experience it was. Our past, it will either haunt us because you know what? We could have had it so good, glory to God. You know, some folks, they were raised up in homes, hallelujah. They had everything. Praise the name of the Lord. They had everything. They they, they never lacked anything. There was never a time that there wasn't something in the refrigerator, hallelujah. There was never never a time where they, they, they couldn't get what they wanted, praise the name of Jesus, right? And then they get married. And when they get married... Suddenly, things change. Suddenly, they have to hear the word, no. We can't afford that. Mm -hmm. That's not in the budget. Budget? Hmm? (laughs) Right? And then there's there's, there's a choice in the matter here. You can go on ahead and say, well, praise God. At least we have each other. Hallelujah. <laughs> or you can say, man, I wish you were more like my daddy. Uh-huh. Hallelujah. Don't, 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 don't say I wish you were more like my daddy. It, it, it flips on the other, uh, other side, too, you know. You, you grow up in a house. Your mama knew how to throw down in the kitchen, glory to God. You get married, praise the Lord Jesus, and you have that first home-cooked meal from that beautiful bride that you are passionately in love with, praise the name of the Lord, and she presents you with something that doesn't smell like mama's cooking, doesn't look like mama's cooking. Let's see if it tastes like maybe there's some deception going on up in here. And you taste it and don't taste like mama cooking either. Listen, you have two choices in the matter. You can go on ahead and say, man, I wish you cooked like my mama. Or you can say, you know what, let's go hang out with my mom for a little bit so she can show you how to cook. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're we going to go hang out at mom's house for a couple of weeks here, praise the Lord. Every night for dinner, we're going over there. You're going to go there at 5 and I'll be there at 7. Hallelujah. But babe, why are you coming two hours later? No, no, no. I just want you to spend some time with my mom. It's going to be all right. Praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. 
Listen. <laughs> the past, no matter how good, no matter how bad it is, it can haunt us or it can help us. We can have had that past that we didn't have everything. We could have had that past that things weren't all the way that they should have been. And we can either live out of that or we can grow out of that. Amen? It's important for us, church, not to be like these people here because here's the problem. The problem is, and I'm going to just give you a reference to a scripture that, well, actually, let's just turn there real quick as I get ready to close here to the book of Haggai. Haggai, Haggai, praise the Lord. I don't know if it's one of the two, but it starts with an H. Hallelujah. I want you to see this because I want you to know I'm not just making this up about these people living in the past. The reason why is because God would not waste words if they weren't living in the past. Look what he says in chapter 2. When you're there, say Amen. And it says, in the seventh month of the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and, of jo- and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, in verse 3, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? So the Lord, through the prophet, is asking a question. Who's there among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your in your eyes as nothing? In other words, he's saying, look, y'all are looking at this foundation. You saw the glory of Solomon's temple, and you are looking at this foundation, and you're saying, man, this is nothing compared to the glory that was over there. And you can't even get excited, but God goes on and rebukes them, and he tells them, yet now be strong. Well, he encourages them. Then he's going to give them a little, a, a little rebuke, encouragement together. Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak the high priest and be strong all you people of the land says the Lord and work for I am with you so there's the encouragement it may not look like much but continue to work work as hard as you can be devoted to doing what God has called you to do and verse 5 says according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, in a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. And the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. So it gives him a little rebuke, and he said, listen, y'all ain't seen glory yet. Y'all have not seen anything in comparison to the glory that I'm going to come and bring forth. Well, well, years later, Jesus walked in this temple. That was the glory of the Lord coming to this temple. And why do I share this? Because if we get caught up in the past and we allow our past to overshadow our present, we will miss the future glory that God wants to bring to our life. If we allow the past failures, if we allow the past disappointments, if we allow the past dis- if we allow the past victories and the past glories and the past things that we have, if we allow those things to overshadow where we are, we won't look forward to what God wants because we're too busy looking back at what we had. Church, paying attention to the foundation, understanding 
there's another level that God wants me to go to. There's another place in him that he wants me to grow in. There's another place that he wants for me to experience, and not just me by myself, but us as a body, us as a family. He wants us to experience more. The question is, are you caught up in the past or are you focused on the present, looking forward to the future? And my last question here is, what is it that is hindering you from focusing on the foundation? What is it? That is keeping you from moving on from the past and allowing God to do what he wants to do now. What is it? It could be hurt. It could be disappointment. Or it can be how great it was. But the beauty of this is that God always, always outdoes himself if you will simply allow him to. Amen? So I'll stand to our feet and bow our heads, please.